Hello and welcome to Kohler Commentary. Today I am joined by a renowned couple within the Dallas Korean community. You might know them individually as Kevin and Sora, but together they have been coined Kavora since 2006. Dating for over nine years before calling it forever in 2015, I thought it would be so fun to hear them reflect on their relationship from their youthful days up until now as working parents to two rock star girls and dear friends to so many. So welcome guys to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Thank you guys for joining me tonight. Um, so I thought it would be nice, even though some of us know you guys dearly, if you guys could introduce yourselves a little bit before we talk about your long timeline together. My name's Sora, and I am a Dallas native, so born and raised here, and I'm currently a teacher at LISD. I have two beautiful daughters that are four and six. Hello, uh, I'm Kevin Kong, and I'm a Dallas native as well, 35 years old. As my occupation, I am a commercial banker lender. Now that we know a little bit about you guys and that you guys have two beautiful daughters, before you got to that point, what was it like when you guys met each other in your early dating years? How did you guys meet? What was attractive about each other? What did that relationship look like starting in 2006? Oh my gosh, that was high school. We met at church. We both attended Yongnak Church, and I had just kind of moved churches in ninth grade. But then we had been friends for a few years. I guess, like, what really caught my eye about him at that time was his height. I had <laughs> really rarely seen a lot of tall Korean guys, you know? And so his height was, like, the first thing that I, like, noticed. But we kind of just, like, became close friends for a while, his cousin is my best friend, and so that's kind of how we also grew close together, too. For me, I think just as any immature high school boy, you know, the first thing that I guess guys looked at was, you know, just being attracted to a girl, just them being pretty, beautiful. I think that caught my eyes with Sora, um, but <laughs> I think on a more serious note, like Sora said, we were friends before we got to know each other, and... I think just the conversations we had, just texting back then on the flip phone, T9s, just all the time, <laughs> running my bills up because it was not unlimited text then, but uh, we had great conversations. So I think that's what I guess caught my eyes over time from the friendship. Okay. So then who made the first move? How did it become a relationship? <laughs> Funny story. It was me for sure. But then like, Sora said she was good friends with my cousin, so my cousin kind of caught on a little bit, and uh, I guess... Well, at first, when we were getting close, she was like, by the way, I don't like when my friends date my family members, because I guess, like, that was kind of common for, like, her friends to be like, oh my gosh, your cousin, like, introduced me or something, and at that time, I was like, ew, I would never, oh, I don't ever see him that way, and I remember... She knew about us, and I was so scared to call her and just let her know, like, hey, this is something a little more serious than just talking. And I just remember to the end, she would not admit that she already knew what was happening. So I was just so scared to call her. And then finally, she's like, Sora, like, you guys are so obvious. Like, I know. I know everything that's going on. Like, you're not fooling anyone. 
Yeah. So we always joke around, you know, like I used to always say like, this is my best friend. And now I'm like, this is my cousin. And people are like always really confused. Like, wait, how is she your cousin all of a sudden? And I'm like, by marriage, like I married her cousin. So now we're cousins by default. So then with that, and now you guys are together, what did those early years look like since you were in high school then? And high school dating is definitely different from marriage. Oh, definitely. It was a roller coaster. Since since 2006. Yeah, um, because we were so young and so immature. So it started off like any typical high school relationship, you know? where there was like that huge honeymoon phase and you're just like young love and everything is fun and nothing can go wrong. It's us against the world. But then it being such a young love situation, it came with a lot of like insecurities too Mm. and a lot of immaturity that led to a lot of fights and it became very toxic. It was a very toxic relationship And it eventually kind of led to our big breakup in college after dating for five years. That's when I actually got close to Sora. When I met Sora, like personally in college, because I knew knew of you guys and I knew you guys were a couple and things like that. But I never developed my own friendship until like freshman, sophomore year. And then, yes, I was there during the, the big breakup. Can you guys share a little bit about what that looked like and how you handled that time apart? And ultimately, what brought you guys back together? I think for me, during the early stages, I would consider myself, I'm pretty patient. But I think it wasn't a good balance for me because it was so toxic and so immature in the beginning that instead of actually having it as patience, I would always have to try, I guess, telling myself that I had to prove something to not make a mistake or something like that. So I think that was my part in making it toxic as well because I think I was just out there to prove that I am trying I'm doing this so then I think by the time year five came around and the big breakup came I started kind of telling myself in a different direction saying like maybe I am being too patient I I don't need to prove anything I kind of I guess put my foot down in a sense so I guess you could say it's kind of like I retaliated in a different in a way I shouldn't have to lead lead to that. So I guess the breakup made me feel I guess more anger when it, it happened and kind of made me think to myself like you know I don't need this kind of toxic relationship. Uh, I shouldn't be in that. Uh, like I just try to telling myself that what would be best for me in a sense. So that I think that kind of led ultimately to the breakup. But then during that breakup, me and her dated around as well during that time. I don't think it's anything that we regret or anything like that. But I think we were just trying to figure out on our own. Right. Because you had already been together for so long to that point. And I bet even dating other people felt foreign. It really was. Because honestly, I jumped right into another relationship like immediately after to fill that like empty void. And at that time, I didn't realize the dependency I had on other people for my own happiness and things like that. And so I remember just like randomly one day I woke up and I just felt like, (laughs) I was like, you're a loser. (laughs) I literally (laughs) said that to myself, like you are a loser. Oh, to yourself? No, that's not funny. Oh my God. No, yeah, like to myself, I woke up one day and- I remember like messaging my friend and I was like, I'm a loser. Mm -hmm. And like, what am I doing with my life right now? I'm in this relationship that 
brings me absolutely nothing and just for the company of someone and not to feel lonely. And so I decided to like really focus on myself. So I, we both kind of were like doing our own little self-discovery journey. And I think after time had gone by and this is like the perfect timing of everything because timing is everything, right? And so we were both at a place where I felt more comfortable being alone and he had done a lot of self-discovery. And I'm sorry, Kevin, I'd like to throw you under the bus. <laughs> you were a late bloomer. I just remember feeling like he really didn't know who he was himself either. He had been mm. kind of sheltered his entire life, growing up in a really small city and going to a very small church. So I kind of was like, you know, this is his time to shine and let him do his own thing. And then we happened to be single at a time. And then we were doing a really good job of avoiding each other in how, no matter how small Dallas was and no matter how many mutual friends we had, we did a really good job of avoiding each other. But there was like, you know, his cousin, like every time his cousin's birthday comes around, like it's inevitable to see him. Right. And that's kind of how we sparked things back up. So when you guys avoided each other, was that because you felt like there was also any leftover feelings or was it just that was the, I mean, when people break up, that's usually what you do. I think it was kind of at that point, that's what you do. And I'm glad we didn't ever acknowledge each other during that breakup time. I mean, really respected each other's space. One time I remember seeing him in the corner of my eye. But then I saw that he saw me and literally like did a 180 and left. Mm. Like, and I think that was a time where I was like, you know what, you, because that was when I was single and I was like, you know, focusing on myself. And I was like, you know, it was a good decision because truly at that moment when we broke up, I thought that was the end. Like, yeah. we are never getting back together because if we had tried to get back together any earlier than that, I don't think we would be here today. Right. I think that's really cool to hear that you guys both had your own journeys of self-discovery or like almost like self-dependency as well, right? And so when did that timing come where you guys were ready to get back together? What did that look like? You know, it was, it was like starting a brand new relationship over again. Mm. It was like from getting to know each other again because we were two completely different people at that time and I mean you can chime in whenever you want Kevin like <laughs> you were there you're doing great um I think from my I guess my lens is um Sora matured a lot in that short period of time as for me I don't think I've changed much because I think I started changing in the early couple years after we got back together mm -hmm. um I think it was more I don't think I was like traumatized or anything like that but it was like <laughs> I felt like I didn't really do anything wrong from the breakup in a sense for I was the one that had to make a big change but then the first year or two after we did get back together I was the one that kind of didn't move forward like Sora did and oh. I kind of would still bring up things that happened in the first five years but then I had to learn that man I can't bring that stuff up and think that she hasn't changed oh wow so I think the fights after were a little more mature not like high school drama but it was like little fights that we had to go through to actually take the next step if we we're 
talking about like marriage and stuff like that and i think that was more of a me fix to actually accept that she did change that she wouldn't go back to old ways or anything like that and i think that's just the matter of probably girls mature faster in a sense and guys just kind of stay complacent in, mm. in that way but um definitely did i think i learned a lot the first two years of um us getting back together myself after a while when did you finally realize like oh it is a change because i think also with your type which we'll talk about later it can be hard to retrust when that trust has been broken in that sense and so is there any memory or a distinct moment even where that kind of began to be like oh i can move forward because it is different this time I think it was when we did argue or something like that, I would always kind of bring up the past mm. and she would constantly say like, you can't bring, keep bringing that up. But I would kind of immaturely throw it back in her face. But then over time, I think there was like one huge fight. I can't remember on like the details of it, but then she actually like was fed up with it. And she was like, if you're going to keep thinking that I'm the same person as before, like you're not actually giving the relationship a try and I think from then on yeah I, I wasn't perfect but I still kind of trying to bite my tongue and catch myself trying to bring up the past or you know tabs that I guess you keep on people uh, I think still to this day I catch myself trying to bite my tongue on some of those things but I think it was something that I had to learn myself to right. kind of move forward as a couple so can I ask when you say like I'm not the same person how did you get to this place where you could so confidently be this changed person or someone that can rely on yourself and allow yourself to have that confidence to even call Kevin out when he was in the newer stages, maybe bringing past things up? I think it was being very intentional and being very self-aware of the things that come out of your mouth, your tone. How are you saying things? And really having to think things through before you speak. And training myself to do that because in the past the toxic part was I was very reactive and it would these fights would go from zero to hundred like real quick with me raising my voice or even the way I talk and I just remember Kevin would be like quit talking to me like a student quit talking to me like a child because I would almost kind of mansplain things to him and it would really trigger him and then it would trigger me that he would start raising his voice and then it would kind of like blow up out of proportion like when we were discussing about this podcast and we were like really thinking back like oh like I know like 16 years ago was such a long time ago but we really can't even remember some of the things that we fought about closer to like the five-year mark because when your emotions get so heightened, like it doesn't matter what, how small the fight is, it just will blow up like a volcano. And then when you take that time to really think about it after you're like, oh, that was actually not that big of a deal. So before getting to that point, catching yourself before and thinking like, how can I say this to portray what I really want to say without it coming off a different way to them? And how are they going to perceive that? Wow, very introspective. Well, before you guys get to the point of, you know, yay, married, is there any advice you would have given to people that did date young and then how that would be something to keep persevering towards till marriage? Because it's not very often you see young couples making it to married life. Honestly, my advice to a lot of like 
younger kids is don't get so sucked into one person at such an early age because you may think you're grown. You may think you know everything because that's what teenagers do. You think Mm -hmm. you know everything. But truly, your life experiences and the more life experiences you have will help build your self-identity and your self-awareness. And it is very hard to go into a committed, healthy relationship with no self-awareness. And I think that's why, like, divorce is so high in such young ages. And I'm seeing that around me. Like, people Mm. I know, I went to their wedding, and they're divorced. And it's because they never had that time to really discover who they really are before they come together. That's good advice. I'm kind of glad you guys had that break where you no, could. No, 100%. Right? We always say that. We're like, dang, if we didn't have that break, we would really not be here. And so I'm also like a huge proponent for second chance and like, mm. you know, getting back together with the same person. Like, not like, breaking up all the time and doing it but like if there's like a one really good long break I feel like it's definitely doable to get back together and make it work do you want to chime in with any advice as well Kevin no she said it all (laughs) (laughs) well great answer so now we go into marriage well before you guys went was there any like oh I'm ready was there any like defining moment of that part I think from that standpoint, I think that was one of the topics that we did talk about when we did get back together. Um, We kind of said, you know, it was marriage or nothing. We both had to be on the same page about it. So I think we still had our trials that we had to go through after we got back together. But ultimately, um, that was the end goal. And from a standpoint of why we got married at an early age, I think it was some levels of immaturity on this decision of course but i have no regrets about it and i hope sora doesn't either (laughs) but i think from the immaturity level i think sora already had her life mapped out from even just being a child uh she wanted to get married at an early age she wanted two boys but we ended up getting two daughters (laughs) but it was funny like the other day or like a week ago she found like an old facebook post where you know how everyone used to do all those like questionnaire things and what your life would look like in (laughs) 10 years down the road and she was reading out her answers and exactly said that she said she wanted to get married at like 25 have two sons and all that so it was pretty pretty accurate so so is the type of person that she gets what she wants in a sense (laughs) uh jokes side ultimately we both were on the same page um we didn't really think of the outcomes of it of the other people around us not making the same decisions but i don't think we ever hesitated Mm -hmm. to slow it down or anything like that that kind of brings in a good point of like as you guys are moving forward much quicker than those around you did that lead to any feelings of loneliness or isolation you guys are both very social and community-based people but you got married really early. You had kids before like anybody. How did that look like in navigating marriage when you're also experiencing these seasons alone? Uh, it has its pros and cons. It was very tough 
Sora adapted a lot better than I did in a sense because I think that's just her mother instincts. I think me as a dad on the outside I feel like I did everything. I did never wanted to be a dad that was always told to do things so I always went out my way to try helping Sora to make it as easy as possible for her but then at the same time there was a side of me of course we love socializing so with all my guy friends that are at the time very single young just out of college you know got a job so they're all hanging out and stuff so I still felt lonely in that sense but I think Sora did too as well so there was times that even being parents we would still try to make that a priority to go hang out with friends mm. but then at the same time it was a blessing because savannah was the only child at that time in our group mm. of friends so all our friends showered her with love and we just see that in her as she grows um mm. she loves all her uncles and she's very obsessive obsessive over them and she uh, we see that as she grows so i think in that it was a blessing in disguise where what Sora calls her is like she's our village child <laughs> so <laughs> so she could elaborate more on that uh, but it definitely was not an easy road but at the same time I don't think we regret it one bit when we look mm. back now yeah I feel like marriage in itself didn't feel very different because we had been together for so long nothing kind of changed it was just an extra label and a pain in the butt to change your last name legally and do all that you know uh-huh. and we actually planned on having kids right after marriage and so I was actually pregnant on our one-year anniversary oh it was and that soon okay it was like very soon it was like maybe five months after our wedding so at that time I actually gave birth to Savannah right before my 26th birthday so I was 25. That's like prime time age for a girl, you know, like all my friends are going out and going on vacation. So, you know, they're, they're making good money now. It's like, we're not in college anymore going out to dirty six or anything. It's like, we're going to nice places and things like that. And I missed out on a lot of those opportunities. And so it was very lonely for me at that time. It was a time where we had the most growth personally mm. and together because it was very high time in our life, but also a very low time in our lives. High time because, you know, like we brought this beautiful child, but at the same time, like our relationship really struggled too, because I really needed like a lot of understanding or like I wanted it to be vocalized. Like I wanted someone to acknowledge that what I was doing was difficult. Mm -hmm. And like my girlfriends and stuff are like super close to me and they really did help out a lot, but it's just not the same. Mm -hmm. And it was just a very like hard time for us, especially because it was still in the early stages of marriage. So I guess it didn't really feel like marriage until we had kids because mm -hmm. that was more of, of a bigger change in our lifestyle. Right. So for people that are now having kids, like what would you say helped your marriage? Because that early tension and even the fact that you guys are doing this alone, you don't have people that fully understand you. So you almost have to depend on each other. But if that's not always there, like what advice would you give to couples now with like littles? Yeah, I mean, a couple of different things is find a community 
wherever that is, find a community with people that are close to that stage of life. So that's when we really started like church hunting and we were looking for a community of young parents and that was still really hard to come around. So we ended up um, attending Korean American church and English ministry and we became really close to their marriage group, I guess. But the HF is actually kind of big. But Ooh. I cling to these women. I was like, oh my gosh, like, please help me, talk with me, and give me advice because I don't know who else to turn to other than family. And that was about it because no one can really understand what you're going through unless they've been through it themselves. Right. Another advice is to open up that communication. Literally, I used to roll my eyes all the time when I hear like anything and people are like, communicate more. And you're just like, I mean, how? What does that actually mean? And something that I realized for moms to dads is like Kevin said, being a mom can be very natural for women, especially because you've been bonding with this child in your stomach for nine months. And you already feel like a mom, whereas dads, it takes them a while to bond and really accept that. There was a time like Savannah's like screaming and Kevin was just like standing around and looking at me and looking at the baby, like, what, what do I do? At that time I was frustrated, but then I realized he really has no idea. He's coming from absolutely no background, no knowledge. We took a bunch of baby classes together but honestly all that knowledge goes out that window when you're like living in it in the moment and so he's staring at me and I just remember thinking like I'm gonna have to just tell him what to do and so I didn't want to come off bossy and thankfully he didn't take it as bossy I was guiding him to doing things because I think a lot of the times when we ask dads to help out with something and they don't do it in the way that we want Mm -hmm. We think like, oh, it's just easier if I do it mm -hmm. and I'll just do it. But then when you do that over and over and over again, that builds up to where you feel like you're doing everything and you're holding this resentment inside. Like I'm doing all of this and you're not helping with this. When he's asking, how can I help? What can mm -hmm. I do? And don't be afraid to communicate. I would ask Kevin to do some ridiculous things. He'd be like, I mean, I'll try my best. And that's all I needed is he taking action because that is what I needed as in that moment as a stressed out first time mom. That is great advice. Just tell it how it is, guys. <laughs> okay, what about you, Kevin? For dads that need advice, anything from you, wise father, who teaches Savannah how to be a baller? Oh, wow, that rhymed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I guess from the beginning, um, fatherhood didn't really hit me until like two weeks in when like I didn't really know I didn't get a routine for myself like how I could help around and I think in the beginning was more not focusing on the baby but focusing on Sora to make sure that she's okay I tried taking as much off her plate or try to make it easier for her she says that she forced me up in the middle of the night to help her with the feeding but I think I volunteered to do that mm. but I think that after you get told what to do and kind of get that first push, I think it comes naturally for the dad to start realizing what to do. Mm. 
but it's just like Sora said, the communication has to be there. Because if she just rolled her eyes or didn't tell me anything and she just did, uh, decided to just take care of it on her own, I don't think I would be the same as I am today. I think that helped me as Savannah got older, it was easier for me to kind of catch on to what she likes to do or anything like that. Um, it kind of got me to actually without Sora asking Sora. Right. And there's times now that I tell Sora what to do. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so it all really does come down to communication. Yeah. But I guess from the advice point is don't just focus all the attention to the baby because mm. I think you and your spouse need to keep I guess the fire between you guys so I think a baby can cause more stress in that aspect that I think me and Sora really try to actually talk to mm -hmm. each other or try finding us time uh, when we can take advantage of your grandparents if they're near you <laughs> to babysit for a night or two um, mm -hmm. to just go grab dinner with just without kids or anything like that I think it helps a lot also self-care that's my biggest thing yeah you just posted that I, I did because that was like something that I realized after COVID. COVID mm -hmm. was really difficult for me because Kevin was considered an essential worker. So he continued to work even when everything was quarantined, like in the oh. thick of it. And so I was left home with both girls for a really long time. And then I was asked to teach virtually and it was a lot. And I wasn't taking care of myself at that time. And I was honestly letting it out on the kids yeah so i am a huge proponent of moms taking care of themselves be a little selfish it's okay to be selfish and to take care of yourself like carve out that time for yourself because if you as a mom are stressed out that kind of energy and vibe is sensed by your children and a happy mom makes a better mom and I say that to all my friends who are just now starting to have children is take care of yourself and it's okay. You don't have to be super mom. That kind of pressure that you put on yourself, it can be very, very detrimental to your mental health and mm. to your emotional well-being. And I would, when we get to Enneagrams, oh my gosh, <laughs> my Enneagram, I did it. I got really into Enneagram after kids and it um... made so much sense to me. And it just helped me see things differently. And it kind of helped validate, like, why I am the way I am. And it's okay. Well, great transition, because that's next. Um, I love the Enneagram, and I know Sora loves it. And by extension, Kevin has to at least know his type. I do know <laughs> my type, but I don't know anything much else? details about it. <laughs> okay. I just know the numbers. Okay. Okay. That's, that's good enough. Um, so what are your Enneagrams? And if you can first briefly describe them, if not, I can also help you out. Sora, you, you could go for me and explain what I am. And Sora, do you believe that is what Kevin is? I do. Okay. I do. Okay. As long as some sort of like confirmation is there, because it does take uh -huh. a while to, you know, believe it. Yeah. So I am a Enneagram type six, specifically a six wing five. Um, okay. I'm known as the guardian or the yes. loyalist. And, I love um, it. I, I never yeah. would have thought it, but now it, I see it. Yes, yes. You know, originally when I took the quiz, 
I thought I was going to be more of like a one or like an mm. eight or something mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. very, you know, rigid and very organized and things like that because I'm very type A. But once I kind of started digging more into a type six and I realized like deep down why I am the way I am is because of those core beliefs and my fears. And Mm -hmm. so the loyalist, like the name, I'm very loyal to the people that I love. And I, I am a very ride or die type of person for them. But I also want a sense of security and safety. And one of my biggest downside to an Enneagram 6 is I have a lot of anxiety and worry and um whereas like my type A comes in I plan for everything you have to see my um <laughs> my itineraries when I travel because down to <laughs> the shaking his head <laughs> down to the minute I will like calculate the time it takes to travel from one place to one place like on Google Maps and I will like color code like travel time. It takes 17 minutes to get to this location, this location. <laughs> if, if I'm off by one minute on the itinerary during the travel, I get really stressed out. And like the anxiety really peaks. And I like ruin it for myself, really. Mm. That's like, I think the security maybe is not as much of a shock as like when, when you see Sora, you see like, and I think type sixes can be very confident, right? But the anxiety part is more of like, a, oh, I wouldn't have expected that until you do like, I bet like now Kevin sees it, right? As like your significant other who sees like the depths of who you are can see things that outwardly you wouldn't have like seen or expected, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. One thing I've heard about type sixes are because they have a lot of anxiety and worry and planning, but they're also one of the bravest because even with that anxiety, they step out and they show up in the most like fiercest ways where they are the loyalists and they are like super ride or die. And so arguably type sixes are the the bravest because it's like almost going against resisting the fears inside and living life as like adventurous as possible. No, I 100% agree. I I like to joke that I like thrive off stress and that is awful. Like that is an awful place to be, but truly like I get stuff done when I feel I'm like I'm under pressure. Hmm. Okay, so we'll we'll talk about how that type form. Can you explain Kevin's type now? Kevin is a Enneagram type 2, wing 3, which is the host. I was very shocked at the fear part of it Mm. because I felt like um, characteristics of a two, for sure, he is just that good guy. Everyone wants to be his friend. He's so kind. Like everyone, you know, you say Kevin Kong. Oh, yeah, man. Such a great guy. That is how (laughs) people describe him as. Is it not true? (laughs) But um, (laughs) I'm It is true. You're a great guy. And he is such a great friend. And Mm -hmm. he is very outgoing, loves being around people, loves being social. Um, This ice mageddon was really hard for him because he needed to see people and interact with them. But his downside is it can come off very people pleasing. And at first, I didn't 
think that. I was like, no way. Kevin's not a people pleaser. But I have seen this man go out of his way, truly go out of his way, especially for the ones that he loves. And mm. I wonder, like, is it because he really is seeking their approval? Mm. And so I do think that deep down he is a true type two. Mm. Any response to that, Kevin? No, I guess I'm a two. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. It's like when you're healthy and you're not in a place of people pleasing being the first motive, then it is like that friendly, that warm person. But then when you do go into an unhealthy or insecure places in your mind, then the people pleasing side could be your initial reason why you do things. But that wouldn't be your natural motive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think I get it from my dad as well, though, because my dad has that same type of personality. Oh, okay. Well, great. So that goes into the next. You guys are just, you know, on it. The next question is, what is that earliest childhood memory? Why you think that Enneagram type of yours formed inside of you? Um, I think my dad's like that. My dad, even though he works long hours, almost six days out of the week, once he's out of work he is in church and then with church he like bends over backwards for anybody at church mm. and i think and for our family um he is i guess the, the oldest he is always looking out after his younger brother younger sister grandma all that so i think that's how it's always been um as i grew up so i think i get that from him but at the same time, from that standpoint, I think being the youngest, I think I got more attention from my mom and my grandma because my dad worked so much. Mm. And then when he, he did have the time. So I think it could be a, a pro and a con from that standpoint mm. that I guess I kind of seek attention. Uh, I guess that that's where it could all come from as an early child. As you saw your dad love tirelessly for those around him, I'm hearing it as like you also wanted that to be given back to you, but it wasn't. Yeah, or... definitely. And I think I felt that more for my grandma because my grandma raised me, my brother, my uh, my cousins, while all our parents used to work tirelessly. Mm-hmm. So um, from getting that from my dad, I wouldn't say like resentment. I know that he was doing it for the good of the family. But then as I got older, like something I shared with Sora sometimes was something I don't want to do with with my kids is Mm. I know my dad was working, but I want to be there for my kids when they do have activities going on. Cause when I was younger, I grew up playing basketball through middle school and all that, but my parents have never watched me play in a game growing up. So you're like like, a basketball player. Yes. So Mm. my, my dad never watched me play basketball until I was like 19 years old when church agencies were telling my dad was like hey your son's very good and my dad never really took the time to watch me and he actually watched me when I was like 19 playing at church mm. <laughs> so I, I never held it up against him right. um, never held a grudge against that because I knew that he was working it never bothered me to that stage of resentment right but that's so, something you um, would want to make sure you change. For, yes, correct. Which is why you guys go to Savvy's um, six-year-old yes. six-year-old basketball games, or she's already amazing. You know, you guys don't only go. You're like a coach. Are you a coach? No, not anymore. I coached her kindergarten year, but 
it's a lot harder than people think. <laughs> it's probably harder I'm than my actual. I'm sure it's harder than my actual job. So oh, wow. I, I stopped and I know it hurts Savannah's feelings because it kind of made her not want to play again mm. in first grade unless because she would always tell me like, uh, I don't want to play unless you coach. Mm. Um, but then we were able to kind of with a little force, like kind of briber saying like, we'll get you this or that. <laughs> and then after a while, she started enjoying the actual players that right. she played with so kind of went away in her mind about mm. me being coaching her is there any of this type that you also see how it might have affected your marriage or impacted your marriage or do you see it more in like a as you were impacted by your dad more like parenting tactics that were um intentional um like you were saying earlier i'm not people pleasing intentionally to gain attention but i just did, did it out of just natural I guess just habits, but Sora got me to see it in a different lens where when we first got married, I still wanted to hang out with friends and still please them and stuff like that. But we've gotten into arguments where Sora was like, you know, I know that you, you love your friends, but you, you're in a different life stage compared to them. Right. So uh, we've gotten arguments about that, not to the point where like, you know, like, ultimatum like choose your friends or me or all mm -hmm. that stuff nothing like that but she she just said you just gotta just think about what your your actions and stuff like that you can't just as bad as it sounds you can't just go out all the time anymore you're a dad you know you got different responsibilities that go uh trump over that so i think it took me a while but definitely came around to it and i think i'm at peace of it of course but then i still find time for my friends you know mm -hmm. but it's in a different way you know mm -hmm. so i uh, definitely enjoy it more especially when i'm older now of course and especially after a second kid you you choose to just stay home and sleep and stuff over it <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's what i'm learning right now <laughs> yes so a second kid will change everything so mm. it definitely did have its pros and cons and i think from just source personality not having that people pleasing type mentality she didn't understand it and she thought in the beginning when we she did kind of we did argue about it she didn't understand it as well so she would kind of be like you're choosing your friends over me she came off that way and we've gotten fights about that but i think both of us had to kind of understand each other's point of view or i guess our enneagram number and stuff like that and then that actually leads with you know like our love languages and stuff like that so Mm. definitely i think marriage is never rainbows or <laughs> i think it's more work than actually just dating right right okay so what about you ever since i can remember i was a very worrisome child i worried mm. about every little thing and i don't know where it started or how it started but uh like thinking back, like a huge part of my worry was a fear of abandonment. I don't know why, like, where does that even come from? And then I was like, you know, like, I would get so sad about Disney movies where they were left alone or someone abandoned that child. And, you know, a lot of like Disney characters have no parents or only one parent and things like that. And so I don't know if it's like, because I w watched so many movies where that was like a common theme that like fear kind of manifested. And so I just remember like back then when we didn't have cell phones and my mom would like drop me off at the mall. I'd be like, meet me at this place at this time. 
And if my mom was even like a minute or two late, I would be crying. I would be crying and I would like blow up on her and like, how can you be late? And she's like, calm down. It was like two minutes. Or I just remember like being the last one picked up at daycare. I hated that because my thought would be like, my mom just ditched me. And I had to really dig deep. I had to keep Mm -hmm. thinking and I had to keep asking myself like, well, why? Well, why was that? Why was that? And stuff. I think my parents did put me in a lot of extra activities at a very young age. And I can't imagine doing this to my kids because I, anytime we go to gymnastics, anytime we go to basketball, like we're with them the entire time. But my mom would literally just drop me off and go. Mm. Growing up, she was like, I'm doing this because I want you to have all these experiences that I didn't. But deep down, I was like, are you trying to get rid of me? Like wondering if my mom was leaving me and didn't want to be around me and didn't want to take care of me. But after I became a mom, I realized my mom had me at 23. Mm. So she was very young. And I have to remind myself, like my mom was growing up while trying to raise a child at the same time. Like, imagine what you were doing at 23. Like, what I was doing at 23, oh my gosh. I can't even imagine being responsible for another human being. But, I mean, I think, like, as a child, I had very good nunchi. And I don't think that was a good thing either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes the nunchi, it's better not to have it sometimes. (laughs) Right? Like, I just wanted Mm -hmm. to be naive and innocent and not know. But yeah, those like dark intrusive thoughts stemming from that fear and that anxiety, even being in kindergarten, like being five and having that, I think it never ended. And it just kept festering and kind of like kept growing and growing in me as I got older. So I'm going to just share what you guys might have thought about growing up. There's a childhood message that you interpret. And for Enneagram 2s, it is that it is not okay to have your own needs. And for an Enneagram 6, it is it is not okay to trust yourself. You guys kind of touched on it a bit, but if you wanted to elaborate on how that, how maybe if there is a specific memory of how that message formed inside of you. I think it was not just trusting myself, but I couldn't trust anyone. Anybody. Mm -hmm. It was very distrust of the world, uh, my family, myself. I just could not trust anybody. The insecurities, I think, started that way. And just being very, like, sus about everyone and not being able to form deep relationships or friendships because that distrust was always kind of there. As you do that, like I heard about an Enneagram 6, it's like you guys have something called the inner committee. You have like people in your mind that tell you like worst case scenarios for all different ways. So it's like not like for an Enneagram 1, there's one inner critic that constantly tells you to do it this way. But an inner critic or inner committee almost like tells you all these different possibilities. And so you're almost having to like, need an authority figure or need help deciding that? Is that something you resonate with or no? Oh, yeah. I'm like, Kevin is like, if I always say his name in a certain way, 
he already knows I'm about to come up with a what if situation type of question <laughs> because yeah. I'm constantly think of these what ifs, but also plan A, plan B, plan C, plan Z. And it is it can get very mentally exhausting. Yeah. Like I am just so tired by the end of the day because even like as an adult at work, I'm always second guessing myself, like is that the right decision? Did I make that right decision? And I'm constantly like calling my sister in the middle of the day. Hey, this just happened. What do you think? And then I'll call Kevin and like, Hey, what do you think? I go to my best friends and I'm like, Hey, what do you think? And the funny thing is like most of them, they always give me all different answers. They, they're always, so I'm always like, Oh, I don't know. I don't know what the right thing is. The funny thing is when you're, when I was younger, I knew who to go to if I wanted to hear what I wanted to hear, mm. you know, and like yeah, yeah. that validation almost. But then as I got older, I actually seek the company of people who will challenge me and go against me to, because that will help me really think a little bit more clearly and more deeper into my in- intention behind everything I know that seems kind of broad but no that makes a lot of sense what about you Kevin it is not okay to have your own needs so this one I was a bit I guess confused on in a sense I know I have my own needs but I think I don't tend to put my needs in front of uh in front I guess Mm -hmm. as a priority sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm just like I could easily convince myself to make it not a need for me. Hmm. I guess a good example would be just me just being a dad. Like, Sora always tells me I'm turning into like an old Adishi because like I don't ever prioritize. I don't, I guess, I don't think the self-care is necessary for me. Like Sora thinks values it as much as for her. Hmm. Like I'll find time to go play basketball or do something that I want to go do, but I don't think it as like a need for me. Like if there's something that comes up, I could put it off to think that, oh, I don't need to go play basketball or I don't need to go, you know, uh, Mm. watch TV or anything like that. Mm. So I don't, um, I I don't think it's a bad thing. Right. No, I agree. I think twos are normally, they almost thrive by not, by prioritizing others needs first. So it's not necessarily you saying it's not okay. Um, I think one thing I heard though, was that even when you guys had that big breakup, you were like, I don't need this, right? And I think that was like almost for you a turning point of like even emotional needs or those type of needs. Like you recognize at that point in y'all's relationship that was a need that was not okay. And then that was even a time for y'all to does – that, does that make sense at all? I don't know. Yeah. I, I guess from a standpoint when I know I have needs, mm-hmm. but I don't make it so important that I could brush it off. Like mm-hmm. there's times like I joke to Sora, like saying you need to say things like that. I love to hear, you know, like mm-hmm. even like simple things like for the longest time, Sora couldn't say thank you for the, for and <laughs> worth her life. She wouldn't say thank you even for the smallest things. And I would always say like, you're welcome before she even said thank you. And then uh-huh. after a while, she's gotten a lot better about it. Even like a lot of people know that she's kind of stubborn, so she won't say sorry first, stuff like that. But I. From that standpoint, I don't know. Like, from needs, I could brush it off thinking, like, it's nothing to me in a mm. sense of, like... And I, 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 it's probably a bad trait, too. I think you bottle it in. 
Yeah, I think I, so, I do bottle in. An Enneagram 2's re- defense mechanism is also repression, bottling it all in until it explodes. Yeah, I think I do bottle it in, and then I kind of, when we do fight about something big, I kind of use it. Mm. But then, even though it has really nothing to do with the reason that we got the argument <laughs> that we got in a fight, yeah. I wish so I, I wish I was recording definitely. facial expressions for this podcast. <laughs> it is so random. I would be like, "Where did that come from?" But mm. he's like, "This date on this, you know, like at five o'clock twenty-four, you know, PM." Oh I'm my like, what is god! That? No, I don't. I don't do it that extreme. Come on. I mean, it feels that no, way. You, it feels no. that way because to me, it was like not a big deal, and like I've moved on. And I think that's the interesting thing is because it's not like you keep it in, but in those arguments, suddenly that memory pops up. So it's like I don't think Kevin like writes it down and like records it, right? But when that fight happens, that memory is still there, and then that's when it decides to then defend itself. So that's very interesting to hear. I think it's also I don't know if it's gender based, but right, like of maybe like female twos might have a harder time keeping it in, in like mm. a, uh, I'm a two wing three and I'm learning from you guys, but I, it is much easier for me to tell Matt my needs that he's not meeting versus, you know, like maybe a husband might not have to do mm. that as much mm-hmm. for gender roles. So that is interesting to hear as well. So then the core longing that you guys have is that you want to hear the message for Kevin, you are wanted and loved. And for Sora, you are safe and secure. Is that a message you might have longed to hear when you were younger? And do you guys feel like that's something you seek from each other? Um, can you guys respond to that? How we react to it? Yeah. If we don't get it? Mm-hmm. For me, I think I, I joke around with Sora a, a, a lot. So Sora like, always tells me, like, why can't you take anything serious? So <laughs> there, there'll be times where, you know, I just joke with her saying, like, you're you're always selfish about like not looking at my love languages and stuff like that mm. and like me i guess saying like i'm i want to be wanted or loved i i guess my love language is physical touch and uh words of affirmation mm. um so like sometimes and then if you you knowing sora sora's kind of really <laughs> hands off she's like don't touch me type person or she's just like yeah. uh, you know she's just in her own bubble so i think from that standpoint, like, of course, I don't force it upon her, but I always jokingly, like, remind her, you know, mm. like, you know, I just annoy her, like, sh- like suffocate her, like, I just hug her, and she's like, oh, I don't like being hugged, and stuff like that, and that way, I guess, I show it, but, um, but at the same time, I guess there's an underlying message in it where, like, I actually do want, like, words of affirmation, or I do just want a simple hug, or anything like that more often without like having to tell her to do it or like jokingly do it, you know? So I think, I guess if that answers the question. It does. <laughs> Great answer, Kevin. <laughs> Sora, go hug him more. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, for twos, it's definitely not wanting to say it, but receiving yes, it. Yes, definitely. Um, to not, like, not make a big deal out of mm-hmm, it, I mm-hmm. guess in like the earlier stages a relationship our relationship i didn't feel comfortable because it was very vulnerable for me to tell him like um i need your constant reassurance i need your words of affirmation i need your validation um i think like it comes off kind of needy mm. and so i think i was afraid to voice that but like 
after having kids, I'm just very straight up. Like, I need you to tell me that I'm doing a good job. I need you to tell me I'm a good wife and I'm a good mom. I like, I just need, and to Kevin, he's like, I, I feel like you are and you, you know, and I'm like, I need to hear it though. I need to be able to hear you actually say that to me and like say it randomly. I, mm-hmm. I'm letting you know right now, like, this is what I need. So please do it. So it sounds like your communication as a couple has improved greatly over time. Oh yes. yeah. Do you I feel think, like that's a secure spot, like a strong point for you guys in marriage? Yeah, I think, and this is like not even like that long ago. This is probably a little more recent, which just like proves to people, marriage is constant work. You yeah. would think we would run out of things to fight about. You would think it would be like we've finally hit that end goal and it should be smooth sailing, but it really isn't. And it's something that takes a lot of work on both ends and it takes a lot of open communication. You have to be willing to be vulnerable with each other because if your spouse cannot understand you and understand sometimes how unreasonable you are, but still understand like why you are being that way, then that marriage will not work because vulnerability comes with so much weakness and you don't want to portray yourself as weak yes (laughs) Sora is very independently dependent that's why I always (laughs) joke around with her okay yeah that makes a lot of sense because I think for six that's a perfect way to describe sixes I think as well I think when we are with friends and just anywhere a lot of people get an image of Sora being very independent strong some people I, I feel like are sometimes timid to talk to her. Mm. But I think like behind closed doors at home, she she's very needy, more than <laughs> people think. Very needy. I, I don't think it's a bad thing, right. uh, but of course I think that's just a personality. Right. She, I think as I guess a six, like you don't want to show that, I guess, softness or mm. in public and whatnot. And you're her safe space. Kevin is truly my safe space. He is my best friend. He is my partner. And truly, like, if anything happens in my day, the first person I, like, think to call or message is Kevin. He's such a great listener. Because sometimes, like, I'm I'm kind of guilty of this, where, like, when people tell me their problems or something, I want to immediately fix it for them. And I immediately want to, like, shoot out, like, different ways to, like, solve it. But Kevin is just very good at listening without judgment. And Mm. I think I was very fearful of that, was feeling judged Mm. by some of my, like, deep, true thoughts that I had. But he never judged me for any of that and never called me crazy. Because sometimes my thoughts are crazy. I I sometimes call you crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I always just joke, like, as you know, I joke around a lot. I said no one else could handle you. No can. <laughs> they really can. my my parents are so thankful for Kevin. They're like, oh, you have the best son-in-law because he can handle Sora. Like he took her from us. I was so worried that no one would be able to take her and marry her and settle her down. 
Mm. And so they like spoil him more than myself. Like they love him more than me. I love that, guys. You guys are just like one big happy family. Okay, <laughs> last thing. What advice do you have to being married to a six or married to a two? AKA just advice you have to be married to Sora or Kevin. Mine was just give a lot of reassurance mm. <laughs> and uh, words of affirmation of just confirmation, I guess, words of confirmation in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's That would be my advice. It has to be constant. Constant. Just because you say it once doesn't mean anything. (laughs) You have to constantly tell me. (laughs) I love love that you are making sure that that's in there too. Yes. Um, My advice would be to find their love language and make sure to be showing them affection in their love language because I think Mm -hmm. it's easy for us to kind of default to our own. Right. And we show people the way that we want to be loved. But I do have to remind myself, like, oh, Kevin is physical touch. I should probably hug him now. Or, like, you know, words of, he's also very big on words of affirmation. So saying, saying things like, I appreciate that, or thank you, or even being the first one to say sorry. Hmm that's like very impactful for him. So like just finding out what your partner's love language, like the highest love language and just making sure you cater towards them. That's good advice. I feel like I could go on and on. I have like so many more questions I want to ask, but maybe there'll be a part two someday. For now, we'll close it out with a quick superlatives game where I'll ask you a question and I'll count down one, two, three, and then you'll tell the answer of Sora or Kevin. Okay. Who said, I love you first? One, two, three. Kevin. Kevin. A long time before, did Sora say it right after? Of course, right after. <laughs> who's, <laughs> um, who's the better cook? One, two, three. Sora. Sora. <laughs> who's the cook? That is the better <laughs> crazy. Okay. Hey, I, cook, I cook a mean lamion. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's, you know, one step up. Who is funnier? One, two, three. Kevin. Kevin. Oh, okay. Who are the kids more scared of? One, two, three. Kevin. Kevin. Oh, okay. What does that look like? Um, I think it's because I only raise my voice when it's something serious. So that they know it's like, oh, this is serious. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I think Sora doesn't have the patience sometimes. So Sora, sometimes it happens more regularly. <laughs> They're so like immune to it now. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Um, who keeps the home clean? One, two, three. Kevin. Oh. <laughs> who is most likely to throw it down at karaoke? One, two, three. Sora. Who is more likely to say sorry first? One, two, three. Kevin. <laughs> and who is the hopeless romantic? One, two, three. Sora. Sora. Yeah, probably. Okay, and... If you could describe your relationship in a fruit, what would it be and why? We agreed on Oh, communication, guys. We agreed on a pineapple. Okay, okay. We said it was a versatile fruit. There are times when we are just like best friends and all that. and But then at the same time, we challenge each other. We also try to teaching each other from those mistakes and learn from each other on that as well. And pineapple is so versatile. You put it on pizza, you can eat as a fruit, you can grill it, like you can do so much with it. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, I feel like I have to also someday have y'all on for just like parenting advice in general, since you guys are years ahead on that. But I just want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast and sharing your reflections and your experiences. Um, oh, you can find Sora. It might work with her six wing five, but you can find her sharing her movie reviews on her Instagram. <laughs> Um, sometimes I screenshot and so then like if I don't know what to watch one night I'll look at those and I watched um, the one where they're like exes and they try to win each other back like it was like oh yeah it was like Uh, oh that's good enough to watch in the background yeah because it was like I don't want something that I need to watch watch but I want something on the and so that was she watches too much TV and she has really great analysis maybe the wing (laughs) five in that but yeah you got Watching TV is not a hobby, and it is totally a hobby. She carries our iPad everywhere. And you can find Kevin on the basketball <laughs> courts, on the sidelines, on the sidelines, <laughs> oh, yeah, cheering on her daughter now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and hope you enjoyed this episode of Color Commentary. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.